Hello, friends, and welcome to the podcast. This episode is sponsored by the super cool, customized camper van company, Dream Drive. Spring is coming. Why not rent a camper van and explore more of Japan in comfort and style? Now and Zen is also sponsored by the Gugu Mattress Company. Super comfortable and very affordable. Nothing better than a great night's sleep with a Gugu mattress. Discount codes available later in the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. This episode, we go very old school. I speak with the CEO and publisher of Metropolis Magazine, Mr. Neil Butler. Neil is a 40-year Tokyo veteran and is well-known from his 13-year stint back in the 1980s and 1990s with Australian Meat and Livestock, where he coined the catchphrase, Aussie Beef. For newcomers, he's known as the driving force behind the iconic free Tokyo magazine Metropolis and its online version. You will hear about his many challenges he has faced in the publishing industry since he took over the helm in 2007. Neil shares advice for working in Japan, his greatest career achievement over 40 years, why he loves running Metropolis magazine despite the financial difficulties. I used to work at Metropolis back when it was still called Tokyo Classifieds. So we exchange a couple of interesting stories about working at this iconic 27-year-old publication. Some heartfelt insight on this episode. It really sounds like a couple of old friends talking over beers, which it is. Direct from Tokyo, this is Now in Zen with Neil Butler. Honestly, Andrew, yeah, we're sitting in this really cool bar restaurant, you know, in the middle of one of the hottest cities in the world, right? Mate, I'm a local nobody from Melbourne, Australia, you know, and now I'm running a company and I'm doing international business and I'm meeting all kinds of people and I'm, I'm just sitting here in awe thinking, how the hell did I get here? You've got to put yourself in the top maybe 5 or 10% of the population in the world to actually have this kind of a lifestyle. Eat this incredible food every day. See these beautiful women every day. I mean, just the, the life here is just so incredible the safety and, the cleanliness the friendliness yeah you know we're, i've been bitching about some things about doing business here but i love my job and metropolis is a fantastic product that japan needs foreigners need it to find out about what's going on here and the japanese need it to communicate the wonderful things about japan and so you know i wouldn't give away this job for for anything at the moment because i'm just so happy i've got a great lifestyle i've got a great girl i got three beautiful dogs i live in a great part of town i ride my bike everywhere i'm super fit at 63 years of age i love life man and japan's given me all of that for the last 40 years since i first came here and so nice congratulations you know it's it's a wonderful place it's a wonderful place despite the frustration and we can bitch about japan all night if we wanted to but in the end you know we're here and we this love it true yeah. very cool i like it neil cheers cheers metropolis magazine or tokyo classified for those of us who have been around for a long time has been a huge source of english information for foreigners since 1994 basically anyone who's lived in tokyo must be familiar with Metropolis Magazine. So let's start big and broad, Neil. How and when did you get involved with Metropolis Magazine? Uh, October 2009, Andrew. Uh, was when I first hit the tarmac at Narita Airport after coming back from Australia. Uh, my second stint back into Japan. I'd been here 
since 1982 through to 2001. I ran the marketing program here in Japan for Aussie Beef. Right. Well, you were known as the meat guy. I mean, you worked for Meat and Livestock Australia. You worked for 13 years. So how do you go from meat and livestock to publishing? Well, Meat and Livestock was a research marketing arm for the Australian meat industry, so it was really marketing. We did the branding for Aussie Beef. For, the Aussie Beef brand is now synonymous in, in Japan. and it certainly is. We started that when the meat liberalisation occurred in Japan. So we, we ran that for a lot of years. I went back to Australia into a meat company doing the marketing for them there. I then got called back to Japan by the owner of Metropolis in 2009. He called me up one day and said, hey, I need some help. Do you want to come back to Japan? Oh, really? So we this was a mate that you knew from before during your first stint. He called you up and said, come back. I think you'd be a great guy to run the magazine. Yeah, Australia Business Association was started by seven of us back in 1983. There was a need. There was a lot of young Australians up here trying to make their way. They were doing all kinds of business, not just your regular English teaching. I started an import-export business. Uh, my buddy Terry Lloyd was into translation and IT. I've known him for 37 years now. Uh, he got into publishing himself. He bought the magazine uh, Metropolis in 2007, just before Lehman. Perfect timing. So I came back in 2009 thinking that I was going to run this uh, fabulously profitable uh, magazine. But uh, 11 years later, I'm, I'm still an uphill battle in terms of trying to make the free paper work. So we, we do a whole lot of other things, but uh, the magazine was the, is the mainstay of our business at the moment. Yeah. As you said, the magazine is free. So how do you generate sales from Metropolis? Is it just from advertisements? Yeah, that's, that's the big one. Of course, we're online as well. Um, so we do a whole lot of promotion for companies that want to market to the foreign community. Particularly, our, our first market is foreigners that live here, especially in Tokyo. The 30,000 copies that we print are now quarterly. Well, it was weekly, and then it went monthly, and that's now right. it's quarterly, right? That's right. Yeah, the earthquake shook us around a lot. No pun intended. <laughs> that's true. And, uh, and it was just uh, expensive to uh, print the magazine so, so much. And the advertising revenue was dropping. People were turning to online. Exactly. We did as well. We made a whole lot of websites, a real estate website, a dining site, a travel site, a members club. And uh, Terry Lloyd was destined to sort of push into the online stuff. I stayed with the magazine, much to my misfortune I suppose because online is where everyone has gone. Why do you uh, say misfortune? Well we just haven't made money you know the magazine doesn't make money I, I now um, sub subsidize the magazine and running the magazine with our online stuff we, we do content creation for other companies, we build websites right. in English, uh, we do printing, we've got a printing business in English, that, you know 25,000 printers in Japan and no one speaks English so for us we get quite a number of uh, nice. overseas inquiries for printing, all kinds of good so we do translation, uh, and the new business that I've ventured into is augmented reality. AR. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> we're tied up with an Australian company. We okay. produce a technology that's not really here yet in terms of AR, although it is here. What we're yeah. doing is different. So the magazine, we implemented some AR into the magazine to give advertisers a, a larger bang for their buck, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I saw that. You have a nice demo online, so you can go to Metropolis Magazine. Yep. There's a video, actually, a okay, demo yeah. video, which shows you the different ways you can do AR. I've seen that. So if you put your phone over an an advertisement maybe somebody pops out onto your screen and right. and talks to you or let me ask you how much of that is just a gimmick 
For us, it's more at the moment. It's more gimmick, just to entice advertisers to think of something new in terms of、uh, advertising in a paper. You know, you've got a stagnant paper; it doesn't move, it doesn't say anything. But if you put augmented reality into it, you can do holograms, you can do videos, you can send someone to someone's website. Yeah, there's a whole range of further information that you can give to an, a reader.、Uh, for us, it was、uh, at the end of 2019 when we decided we'd go quarterly. We then thought that the AR and our web development business and our other media-related stuff would actually、um, start to generate more income for us, and that did happen. Incredible audience, but、uh, along came this little virus, and、uh, before we knew it, you know, things have been difficult for the last 12 months, and so、sure. AR hasn't really taken off. It's not just for the magazine. For us, AR technology in Japan is about marketing and selling products. And there's a lot of interest in AR. It's just that Corona is now stopping everybody from putting their hands in their pockets and spending any money. Right. You know, it's been really, really tough slog for a lot of companies. Even before the pandemic, print media was in decline, and with the onset of COVID, of course, I can imagine it's become even more challenging. However, there are a lot of companies. That have found some opportunities during COVID. How about your organization? What is better now than it was before? Well, Japanese companies and governmental agencies are finding that the only foreigners that they can talk to now are the ones that are living in Japan because no one's coming here. For us,、uh, our spring issue, which is out now and and done, doing extremely well, has got some major features in there from Toba Railway Company. There, they've got a big four-page feature. Feature on Nikko,、uh, Okinawa did a big four-page. This is the prefecture did a big four-page feature on、yes. getting to Okinawa. So they're trying to entice foreigners out of Tokyo to go and visit. For us, it's been a, a little bit of a, a godsend, really, because we're finding Japanese companies who are marketing to foreigners have to go to the local market, and that's where our market magazine is the strongest.、Yeah. That's interesting. Let me ask you this: if, if you're not making any money with the magazine, but you are with everything online and the other services that you offer, why do you continue the magazine? Oh, well, that's where my heart is. You know, I've been in Japan almost 40 years, or had a love affair with Japan for 40 years, and and I found, you know, particularly now, particularly working with Japanese companies in trying to get them to market internationally, whether it be local foreigners or internationally. Japan is absolutely hopeless at marketing itself. It doesn't communicate well, and every Japanese company that I talk to nods and says, "Yes, you're absolutely right," but they don't do anything about it, you know. And so, for them, they need people like me. They need people like you. They need foreigners here to help them communicate better. And my magazine helps them do that. Yeah. Our team are, are native or bilingual, and so we're able to create content in a look and feel and an attraction that foreigners like. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Japanese doesn't have the capability or the,、yeah. the, the wherewithal to actually do that, and so for me, the magazine is a voice for Japan. We're not into controversy in a big way. We want to tell、uh, the world the good things about、yeah. Japan. We're one doorway into Japan, and the other thing that's different about us, and there are other magazines out there, although a lot of them have now died, but the ones that are still there, they're more into、uh, sponsored content by their Japanese owners, or they're into tourism. And you can find all you want about travel,、uh, but we're about deep Japan. We're about going into subcultures. We're about finding out the really interesting stuff that us foreigners are interested in, but haven't been able to find out about. And so、yeah. for us, that that doorway is is a really big part of why I do it. The other part is, this is an incredible job. This is the best job I've ever done. I'm broke. I'm poor. The company doesn't make any money,、yeah. but I just really enjoy telling the world about Japan. 
And for me, that's leading on to other activities that I've got some background in, and that's marketing and export. And, and I've got now companies coming to us and asking how do we communicate better to get overseas. Nice. We've got a couple of overseas companies. We, we look after an incredible uh, American bacon company who sells into Costco. We built their Japanese website. We do their social media for them every month. Jones Dairy Farm. Yep. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. They have sausages too. They're tasty. <laughs> very, very good. And uh, we're just about to start consulting for an incredible company that makes a pancake-making machine. And a, and a waffle making machine and they're in 80 other countries and they, they this machine is touchless now they've all gone touchless and without a push of a button you can make these incredible pancakes into hotels and, and, and bistros where they're sort of served yeah. that sort of thing so they need to set up their company here I know how to do that they need how to make connections into the hotel industry my food experience has, has got me connections there my hotel industry connections also come from the magazine because we have hotels who advertise in the magazine so and the hotels, especially in Europe, always have a waffle machine that you make it yourself. You pour the batter in, you yep. turn it upside down, you wait two minutes, bing, your waffle comes out and you have waffles for breakfast. But this is perfect for Japan. So don't forget all the crepe stores, all the soft cream stores, even a restaurant like this. We're here today at Ivy Place. In the back room, they probably want to make waffles and put some whipped cream and some ice cream or whatever oh. on it. I think that's that's a, an opportunity there. Yeah, and then you get into the mixes and then the syrups and all of that stuff with it. And you create a like a package that you offer. And of course you advertise it for free in your own magazine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think their target is a bit bigger than the Gaijin community, uh, the foreign community. Well, it's more I mean. about yeah, the yeah. Japanese companies. You know, I used to work for Metropolis Magazine once upon a time. I remember that. In the late 90s, when it was still called Tokyo Classified. I didn't work there for very long, only about eight or nine months. So I was the director of sales. But back then, a lot of the advertisements were really small advertisements, like one-fourth page or one-eighth page or even one-sixteenth page. And some of the pages would just fill up. It was very busy with lots of ads. But now when I see your magazine, advertisements are a lot bigger. You mentioned earlier about a two-page spread. Yeah. They feel like it adds more legitimacy, I guess, mm. what I'm trying to say, to the magazine. Have you yeah. found that? Yeah, well, in the early days, not just those small ads and the classifieds, which were a classic, which was why the magazine was called that in the first place, right. was fun. You know, there were all kind of stuff in our magazine. And, and we, we played more to the male reader than the female reader. And there was a lot of stuff in there that I, I wouldn't put in there these days. But um, those smaller ads, they're just tougher to get now. And the, the cost of getting one of those small ads is, is high. And so for us, and also companies aren't getting their six months or 12 months contract. You know, they're doing one or two ads and then they're falling by the wayside. At the same time, we've got a magazine that used to be every week is now every three months. And so, you know, these little ads, they can date quite quickly as well, right. depending on what the service is. And so... Hey, if it's a restaurant and they've got a contract for two ads, that's six months. They might not be around in six months. Yeah, which, is what, which is what happened in the last 12 months. We've lost many of our customers because yeah. of uh, COVID. And as I said, I used to be the sales director of Tokyo yeah. Classified. It was never easy getting advertisements for the magazine. It's really hard to get advertisements. Is that something specific for this market because you're only English-based? No. Or is that in general? Is there some kind of cultural thing at play here? You know, you've got to look at what age we're living in now, and it's all online. We're lucky enough, and we're big enough, 
you know, and, and we've got a strong enough brand that we survive. But anyone trying to start a new magazine now, they need real deep, deep pockets and not have to worry about too much about income. Right. Um, it's a really tough, tough market now. And print is dying. But still, you know, if I compare to overseas, where everyone's on the phone or in the PC, there is a market for print media here. For there. sure. And for me, when I talk to foreigners about the magazine, and I think it's true to anything, you know, when you go online, you're going to investigate something or research something. You know, where's an, where the top ten... Uh, hotels or where's where's a, a doctor that speaks English or that sort of stuff. With a magazine, you flip through the pages of a magazine and you want to discover something. You know, you're not going to a magazine to find something specific. But now it's it's discovery and I find that still is the case. And we have incredible content, I feel, and my team... You do? You know, uh, that... Oh, that's really interesting. You know, yeah. we go into all kinds of uh, stuff that you won't normally find in a tourist magazine or easily find online unless you specifically search for it. Yeah? So how do you foster this culture of discovery editorial? Well, in the readership. You know, our readership, our magazines, and grand you, 30,000 a week to 30,000 every three months is a big drop in, in volume, but our magazines are normally gone in the first couple of weeks because people love to pick them up. Uh, you know, right. it's, it's just the long-term great content that we've had that we've got a, a, a brand that's respected and, and people want to, you know, read what's inside. So I'm not quite sure how we further promote that. I mean, promoting it to the Japanese is a different thing because they don't read English well and they right. don't see how well it's written. Have you ever considered making Metropolis bilingual? That would open you up to a lot more readership and also, obviously, a lot more advertisers. We've thought about that several times. It just it doesn't make... We're in a nice little niche now, and, and making it bilingual, that would be a big job. That's a whole new team. You know, how are you going to fund that? You know, yeah, maybe you think there'll be advertising from the Japanese side, wanting to advertise to Japanese who are interested in, in an English bilingual right. magazine, yeah. but... There aren't that many, and the, the slog for getting more money to pay for more pages or to pay for more staff to actually make the Japanese version is not really where we That's a good go. point, yeah. for sure. <laughs> What's your proudest achievement in Japan, business and career-wise? Aussie beef. That was an incredible ride. 13 years. Took it from nothing where Australian beef was just second-rate, frozen, inferior quality and all the investment that went into the industry to build all this great regularly um, sort of uh, well-controlled quality product and just see the market just blossom for us you know right. it was just incredible I mean it became one of the single most uh, successful consumer products outside of Australia and no kidding and yeah yeah how is it now still incredibly successful the brand is still strong yeah. you know I mean you you ask any Japanese if they know the words Aussie beef and that started in 1988, you know. And so for me uh, to be part of that, to be heavily involved in marketing, to create the brand, to do the TV advertising, to watch the, 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 the sales go from 700 million to 1.8 billion, you know, I mean, it was a billion dollars. It was just a, a great timing. What did you do? How did you market Aussie beef? to make it so successful in Japan because you talked about some frustrations earlier and importing meat is one of those areas that's very protected in Japan. All agricultural products are very protected in Japan. So what was the success there? This is interesting, I think. Well, Jap Japanese beef was never going to compete with imported beef on price. 
and uh, it was just getting that price down. And once the product was liberalised, although there are heavy tariffs, over time they've come down and they're quite reasonable. And so uh, it was the price and it was all the quality perception. Okay. Uh, based on all the, the crap product that used to come in from overseas. Well, that all changed when regularly supermarkets and restaurants started to sell imported beef and promote it. And you had to. There was a labelling law um, and you couldn't mislabel the product. And so, What do you mean a labelling law? What does well, that mean? Well, you had to actually call it Australian or call it Aussie beef or call it something from okay. the imported beef. You couldn't not have any brand on it and you could not call it domestic beef. Okay. Now, some of the original stuff was called domestic beef and people went to jail. For doing that. Wow. Um, so Aussie beef, is that an actual trademarked word? Aussie yeah. beef? Even in Katakana, is it Aussie beef? Yeah. And so uh, when we did Aussie beef, uh, for the Australians, Aussie was a very colloquial uh, sort of backward sort of nickname for Australians. And so we had a, a lot of uh, kickback from uh, the Australian industry. Why do you want to call our great Australian beef Aussie? But they didn't realise that branding it in the way we did uh, made it more... Um, friendlier and uh, more approachable uh, and uh, it was cool with uh, the mark that we used the the triangular mark with the a and so uh, triangular market yeah we had a red a in a triangle and that was our logo mark and our tv advertising had uh, a little kid going to supermarket and put her fingers in the shape of a triangle and ask for aussie beef and the aussie mark would appear between her fingers and that was hugely successful for a television campaign but the other thing, Andrew, which, which really goes back to patience, you know, we spent, I would say, probably $20 million for 10 years straight. We had a very sophisticated marketing program, all the way from making sure the product was produced well in Australia, all the way through to the importer, through to the wholesaler, through to the retailer, consumer seminars, thousands of consumer seminars, how to cook, you know, leaner beef as opposed to the fatty beef that's in Japan. So, and that went over a long period of time. And, and so, you know, that sophisticated marketing program was what worked for us as well. It wasn't just... Consumer seminars, what does that mean? So we would get in front of consumers and show them how to cook beef. We'd have a, a, a Japanese chef or food specialist who would get up there and talk about the... the for policy. the consumers or for the industry? No, for the consumers. We also hold seminars for uh, retailers on how to prepare the beef and, and what kind of menu ideas, because they used a lot of menu cards in the supermarkets. So different menu were made. We made thousands of menus. And so, you know, it, was, it wasn't just the product was going to sell itself. We actually had to make sure the product was ready for the market, for sure. consistent quality. In Australia, you can have grass-fed beef against grain-fed beef. Out of the States, it's all grain-fed beef, so very consistent all the time. We had to increase... So the grass-fed message was more healthy then? Yeah. Yeah. Grain-fed beef, depending on how you feed it, is full of hormones and growth promotants, yeah, to feed the animal quickly. Grass-fed, it's out in the natural plains of Australia, you know, I mean, there are a lot of them, and and you feed an animal on on natural products like that, it's healthier. Sure. Yeah. But I've heard that it also leads to more muscular cows and so the meat becomes a little bit tougher am i yeah yeah, yeah, is that a mistake yeah so depending on where the cow runs uh, or feeds and depending on so the locality and the and the weather temperatures and compete depending on the the breed you have all kinds of breeds 
you sound like you're still pretty passionate about the meat and livestock industry. Absolutely, and I and I still have great connections in the industry, and I still do my best to promote beef because uh, I talk to a lot of restaurants who are either uh, want to promote to the international market. And I said, well, have you used Australian beef? And so I, I try and introduce product into the market. Yeah. How come you, you don't have more? Aussie beef advertisements or stories in your magazine? Well, it's, it's why 95, 99% of the Japanese companies don't advertise in our magazine is because there's only half a million English-speaking foreigners to target as opposed to 125 million Japanese. So, sure. So you tend to find that uh, we're less of an attraction uh, for Japanese companies. And Aussie beef and American beef, they don't want to sell. They don't have to sell their, their product to a foreigner. They need to sell it to a Japanese. So, right. And their budgets are really tough these days. You know, They don't sure. have the sort of budgets we have earlier. We all know getting a great sleep is important. And this is what Gugu is all about. Super comfortable mattresses at very affordable prices and delivered to your home for free. They back up their best sleep ever promise with a 100-night money-back guarantee. Learn more at gugu.jp and enter the coupon code ZEN for your 20% discount. Gugu. Better sleep. Better you. Explore Japan in comfort and ease with Dream Drive. Rent a customized camper van to go camping, take nature hikes, relax at onsens, or just discover the many beautiful places less traveled around Japan. Dream Drive has various camper vans for solo travelers and families and is more affordable than trains and hotels as it's only one price per night. Go to dreamdrive.life to plan your next Japan adventure. Enter the coupon code ZEN and receive a sweet discount when making your customized camper van reservation. Dream Drive, the hotel on wheels. Everybody's been through some adversity in their life. And I believe this is what makes them both engaging and interesting. What has been your greatest challenge as a foreigner working in Japan? And how did you overcome that? Uh, the difficulty that I find in Japanese trusting me and wanting to work with me. I find that incredibly uh, disappointing given how much I care about the country and how, well, I think I'm an honest uh, business guy and how you I want to help uh, but Japanese companies. But you've been in Japan companies. for 30 years. You speak Japanese. Yep. Why is there this distrust? Well, uh, I think it's just the Japanese mentality, which is why Japan, Japan's falling behind. You know, They just don't know how to engage with the international world. You know, I'm not talking about the big companies, Mitsubishi, Sumitomo, they've all got their overseas offices, they've all got English in them, Rakuten, those sort of guys. But, you know, where the strength of the country will be in the future is in the small to medium-sized companies. And getting them off their ass and, and into international business is really, really tough. And they all want to do something, and they all end up going with, a, you know, I find, you know, going with a Japanese company, they, they feel more comfortable working with a Japanese company, even if they take them down the wrong path and they spend right. all this money without really much, um, uh, without much return. Uh, I just sort of shake my head. Now, it's not as if I don't have a, a good business proposition. Helping international companies come into Japan, I've got more business consulting that way because, yep. you know, my language you know meets them i'm an english speaker and so they sort of can um we can connect better sure and no matter you know my japanese isn't good but it's good enough to do business i, I find it difficult just to to find japanese that want to work closely with you trust you and and spend money with you 
I used to work for an online recruit advertising company. Our service offering was great. It was very low risk. It was inexpensive, but it was a foreign company with a name that nobody knew. It was so difficult to sell our services to a lot of Japanese companies because they know recruit. Recruit is the name that they know, whether it you know, might be more expensive, maybe it's not as effective, but if they didn't find the people they were looking for with recruit, they're not going to get in trouble for that.、Mm. Their boss is going to say, hey, how come you didn't find anybody? Well, it's just too tough to find this person right now. Who'd you use? Recruit. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, Shogunai. Or, if you, but who'd you use? Oh, we used AsianNet. Who? AsianNet. Who's that? Hey, dummy. Why don't you use a reputable company? Somebody we know. You know what I mean? Yeah. There is that. Part of doing business here. So I, I find no matter how long you live here, and I don't want to be Japanese, I love my, my foreigners, and,、uh, but to assimilate into the con- country, they're just very homogenous. And it's why they're struggling right now. You know,、uh, if you look at, look at the way they communicate to the world, it's very poor. And so I'm not quite sure how they're going to catch up. What's your favorite Japanese word that doesn't have a direct English translation? The biggest word that comes to mind for me with how Japan lives its life is shogunai, right? Right.、Uh, I just get blown away how everything is shogunai, and, and they seem to live their life with shogunai. I get really frustrated with that, you know. And I, But that's not your favorite word.、Uh, well, no.、Uh, I don't know if favorite is <laughs> pos- a positive word. It sounds like your <laughs> least favorite word. <laughs> Uh, no, it's just, it's just part of Japan, part of Japanese culture. That, I coined、uh, I a word、do. from that. It's called shogunai shugi. It's、uh, the mentality, ism. It's the shogunai, it can't be helped ism, yeah, is yeah, what that yeah, one yeah. means, right? Exactly right. Sometimes when、exactly、I'm in、right. meetings and I ask for somebody's opinion or somebody's idea, you know, I always preface it with no shogunai shugi comments, please. And it seems to translate pretty well, actually. Does it? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that could be your new favorite word. Okay, yeah, yeah, I could do that. Online, you have a few sites. You have like a real estate site, you have Metro Dining, which has、um, thousands of listings. Three, three, three and a half thousand, I think. Three and a half thousand、yeah. restaurants. So now some of them maybe are out of business now. It's, it's a great source for finding a great restaurant. How's that going? Yeah, the, the online part of our business is where we're really weak at the moment. I just don't have the resources. The Metro Dining.jp and the Metro Homes, which are the food and bar、uh, site and the, and the real estate site, they struggle. They're old and they need an, up, you know, an upgrade. And,、uh, and we don't do much to market them. But the dining, it seems like there's a big opportunity there. And this leads me to what I call my free, unsolicited. Business idea. You know, I was checking out your website and things just pop into my brain. So, for you, Neil Butler, this is the free unsolicited business idea.、Uh, maybe you did this before because it seems very familiar. It's the new and improved Metropolis app. Now, I say new and improved because I noticed that you have a Metropolis app already, but it hasn't been updated since 2016. Very. And what you do with that, of course, you can read all your great editorial that you do publish monthly, or maybe even has, has lots of links to back issues, etc. On this app, all your advertisers and the restaurant listings from the Metro Dining webpage are listed there. 
but it includes location notifications. So for example, wherever you are in Tokyo, if you've downloaded the Metropolis app, it will send you a text notification. Oh, you're right by Ivy Place. Why don't you stop by? They're offering your first beer free or you know, 10% off of your meal or something like that. Mm. So there's a value add for all the restaurants slash advertisers. And there's also a benefit for the people that have downloaded this app. Not just the editorial content, but there's a potential for a discount. And there's a reminder wherever they are of a cafe or bar. There's a promotion with it. So maybe it's like 10% off of your meal or whatever. You take a small percentage of that, say 2% or 3% or whatever it is. So you mentioned you have over 3,000 listings. So there's a huge potential there. That's my idea. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's not as if we haven't thought of upgrading the app, but it's a big job to get that working. When we had our members club and we had 3,000 members, we had a card system and every member got a card with a number on it. Okay. And every shop, 80 shops around Tokyo, uh, clothing shops, bars and that, we had to go around and, and negotiate the deal and put a sticker on their window. And if they had the Metropolis Mark sticker was there and you walked in there, you could show your card and you could get the first free beer or... 10% off of that kind of stuff. Yeah. The work to actually get that done and yes. set that up is, is incredible. Yeah. I and I, I don't have the resources right now sure. to do that. But a card, nobody wants another member's card. That's why you go with the app. Because if it's just a QR code or something like that, and then they, the, they have to opt in. Yep. But obviously the location notification yep. text... That's something that just pops into people's... It's a good idea, Andrew. I just don't have the bandwidth right now to sort of really get into that. And yeah. and will restaurants give us some kind of percentage or pay for an advertisement? At the moment, restaurants, are, you know, they can't stay open after 8 p.m. And so, you know, and most of our restaurant advertising is gone. True, yeah. for sure. Here's another free unsolicited business idea that I just You're came up full with. of them, Andrew. I am. Well, some of them pop into my head as, as we speak. Okay. So in doing this podcast, I'm always looking for interesting people to interview. And there's a lot of people out there that write some very interesting travel blogs. But everybody that writes, they all want to get their articles in a reputable magazine or, or a platform. Why not solicit pro bono more writers to write articles to put in your magazine that it gives you content, but it gives all these writers something that they can put on their writing resume. Andrew, we never have enough room for all the content that we get. We get inundated by people who want to be published in our magazine. Like, really? Yeah. But we just don't have the space. You know, our budget limits us to 36 or 40 pages, and we fill that with as much advertising as we need to to actually pay for the magazine. Right. Uh, and sometimes at the expense of some of our editorial content. But there is always content there, and, and there are always freelancers who want to pitch stories to us. Sure. So we're never shy of content. It's just we don't have the room. But you could put it online. Yeah, but you've got to find someone to do the editing for that, and all my staff are part-time. You know, I need a full-time person wow. if we're going to increase. So You're really that all struggling. Costs, that all costs money. That yeah. all costs money. That makes sense. And you said before, struggling. There's no doubt that uh, publishing businesses are all struggling. But, Andrew, I've got to tell you, I've got the number one English magazine in this country, and we're the only ones that's independent. For me, you know, I'm sitting here on this incredible asset that creates incredible information for the international community that they love, 
Yeah. Mate, I'm as rich as can be, you know? Yeah, sure, we'd like some more advertising. Yeah, sure, we need a bit more money in the bank. But uh, to have this magazine blossom the way it is, to, to have this magazine look the way it does, to have the comments that come back, you know, uh, it's an incredible story, 27 years that this yep. thing's been around. And gone through its ups and downs and its hassles and its financial woes and its people problems and all that sort of stuff. But still, Metropolis is an icon, you know? And it certainly I, is. I'm sitting on top of a fantastic thing that I, I, I just love it, mate. What's the one piece of key advice you would give anyone that's trying to be successful in Japan? In a word, patience. Why do you say that? It just takes a long time for Jap- Japanese to accept you to get used to you to you know be comfortable with you uh takes a long time for you to get any products into the market there's all these rules and regulations it's frustrating dealing with the japanese especially government entities because they're so anal in terms of the way they do things i mean i think you look around the world there's you know a lot of bureaucracy and paperwork that's necessary in government but sure uh, but here, you know, much more difficult, much more frustrating. Back and just was there do more things bureaucracy when you were working for Meat and Livestock Australia, or uh, is there more bureaucracy in your life now? No, I think it's the same. You know, importing meat for an Australian company is just as tough as importing pancake making machines. Really? Why? Oh, there's all these rules and regulations. There's electricity. There's uh, how's the machine made, the duty on it. You know, all of those. That's always difficult. True. Yeah. yeah. But you can also hire an agency to do all due diligence or, you know, the food contact law, food safety law, anything that people eat. There's a lot of regulations around that, as there should be. It's just, as you said, yeah, patience. It takes time, but it's not prohibitive. No, uh, that's what I mean. Patience. Uh, All things come to he who waits. And Japan, you know, it's got some great opportunities for the international market. Just getting in the market takes patience. Yeah. Has the editorial direction of Metropolis changed over the years? I've seen recently there's a lot more travel-focused editorial. Is that by design or is that just to accommodate some of the advertisers? No, just recently there's more there's more travel, well, not just editorial, some of those pieces that I told you from Toba Railway and and uh, Okinawa. And there's just been opportunities to, to make a bit of money by putting more travel in there but uh, as I said we, we never see ourselves of a travel magazine and for us you know we've had a change of editor-in-chief over the years and and I found that some you know editors-in-chiefs had a certain direction our previous right. editor-in-chief was focused more on art and culture so we had a lot more art mm, that's uh, interesting. the last the last 12 months particularly the last six months if you look at our recent spring issue and our uh, winter issue of last year and our autumn issue we've got a new designer graphic designer we've gone back to our roots a little bit more with community there's a lot more community focus there you'll yeah, see some of the things I asking people what they think about japan you know uh, and uh, we've been um, criticized a little bit by some people who want more community news that we don't do enough for the community who, who, where does that criticism come from? Well, Why does that criticism come You know, uh, for example, there are some that still believe that the magazine in the olden days, which was a community magazine, talked about international schools and what event was happening at this community centre and this, all this sort of stuff, yeah. that this is what uh, international people still want. And although there is a need to be connected with the community, and I think our last six months of magazines 
nine months of magazines have really shown that return back into the community. You know, well, we don't have the, the, the volume of pages to actually create a whole lot of, like, really grassroots community stuff. Uh, we did have a community page for uh, quite a while there. It's not something that we've, we find a lot of readers are, are begging us for. Uh, there's just some in the olden, some people in the old, in olden times saw that how we were a, a more community-based magazine that we've grown into more a, a city paper. For me, community focus is a lot more there now than it was maybe 12 months or 18 months ago, and I like that, and I think we'll do more of that, showcasing uh, interesting foreigners. There are incredible amount of people here living in Japan, foreigners who have incredible lifestyles, incredible yes. business, you know? Well, that's one reason why I do this podcast. There's people like you. Yeah. And as you mentioned, there's incredible foreigners here in Japan that have a really compelling and insightful story to tell. And so we're, we're, we're starting to showcase that more. We're starting every month to try and find those interesting people. And, and, and at least uh, with the, the online, we can do that, you know, monthly. Right. Yeah, yeah. I got a funny story. So when I worked, at the time it was called Tokyo Classified, still. And we wanted to get it into all the kiosks in the subways. Yeah. I went to the head of the subway at the, the, the metro office. It was in Kanda. And I pitched them from a business angle. I said, look, we've got 30,000 copies. At the time, I think it was even higher. I, I can't remember how, how. What was the... No, it was 30. 30 it was, was, it was the most. 30? Yeah. Okay. So at the time, it was still 30,000 copies. And so I kind of reduced it to the ridiculous, typical sales technique. I said, if you put this magazine, it's for free. Let's just say, you know, one in 10 buy a pack of gum. And it's going to result in this amount of sales for your kiosks. And they weren't interested. They, they had no interest in that. They were kind of, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. What, what is it? It's a, it's a free magazine? You know, this is before Hot Pepper, yeah. and this is before all these Japanese free magazines were around. They just didn't get it. What convinced them, and we did get it in, actually, what convinced them was that it would have been, that it would be, they would be seen as contributing to the internationalization of Japan. So this angle worked for them more so than the business angle of increasing sales by putting the magazine at all the kiosks. Wow. It's a true story. <laughs> That's Japan. That's Japan. Yeah. And on that note, Neil, cheers. Yep. Thank you for your time cheers, today. Man. Keep on doing what you're doing. I know you're struggling right now. So anyone that hears this podcast, where can they learn more about Metropolis? www.metropolisjapan.com or email uh, neil at metropolisjapan.com, N-E-I-L. Nice. Yeah. Thank Continued you. Continued success. Yes. Thanks very much, Andrew. Good speaking with you. And that was Neil Butler, CEO and publisher of Metropolis Magazine. As you heard, times are difficult for the publishing industry. If anyone has advertising needs or wants to market to the Tokyo foreign community, contact Metropolis or Neil directly via neil at metropolisjapan.com. Thank you once again for listening. If you liked what you heard, please leave a comment and or star rating wherever you download your podcasts. It really helps. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>